I wonder, when do you start preparing for Christmas? Who starts preparing for Christmas in uh, October? Anybody, some people there? Steph is very early, off the mark. Anybody in uh, November? A few more people. Anybody in December? Anybody in January? Well, it's interesting. Um, After um, well-spent time on my research, in terms of trying to find out who actually probably starts at the earliest to spend their time uh, in preparing for Christmas. I mean, I've seen seen somebody's picture uh, on social media the other day. Uh, In one of the shops, there were already Easter eggs. So that's a little bit easy, but... It seems to be creeping kind of the preparation in terms of the shops earlier and earlier and earlier. I think it's been September this year that I've seen already stuff appearing for Christmas. Well, uh, if the guys can get the screen working, one of the earliest ones um, actually is in the Philippines. So the Philippines would start at the very end of August and it goes all the way uh, to sometimes February. So they seem to be the nation that spends most time with sort of Christmas, Christmassy stuff uh, around them. And uh, it's a predominantly Catholic country, so uh, they, they, they really want to make the most of it. So if you're getting frustrated going to the supermarket thinking, oh my, they've started early, just think about it. You could be living in the Philippines. And there are some heathens who've already put their Christmas tree up, some of them a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm still fairly traditionalist. Christmas Eve is the uh, sort of thing that we do. But then I'm terrible. I don't want to put the Christmas decorations away. And sometimes you get all the way into sort of late January before you put them. Because you procrastinate. This is basically procrastination, isn't it? You delay it as much as possible. And then you're thinking, this looks great. Why not keep it? How do we prepare for Christmas as Christians? I guess it's a really good question. Because the stars was kind of hinting, and that Edward was so brilliant, capturing the sidegeist of our world that is so fixated with the preparation for Christmas, but it's all about material things. And it captures the heart of man around us, where everybody will be getting incredibly busy over the next few weeks, and the shops will be absolutely packed. I'm always mesmerized, you know, when you see those, you know, trolleys absolutely packed with stuff. Or somebody with, you know, I mean, I don't know whether it's 24 packs of beer or whatever it is. And it's just like two trolleys loads. And I'm thinking, man, it's going to be like three days. How much alcohol are you going to drink in those days? And how much food are you going to eat? And then you see the, 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 the presents. We, we were watching the Romanian news. And traditionally, um, as it happens in most of Europe, uh, St. Nicholas is, is quite a special day. And as kids, you used to get uh, presents. You used to... Uh, put your boots outside, and uh, you'd get sweets. That was in my day. Now they were showing on the news, and it's, I'm not kidding you, there's like about 17 presents for each kid, and I'm thinking, what are you going to give them for Christmas? If you're getting them for St. Nicholas, where you just normally get a couple of you know, candy uh, in the olden days. I sound like an old man. I am an old man. And people are just captured by spend, 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 spend. I wonder if we're any different as Christians, as the followers of Jesus. How, how do I prepare? How should I prepare 
amongst all the distractions, disappointments, stresses, all the stuff that is kind of swirling around the Christmas season, what do I do with my heart? How, how do I live not just in terms of my relationship with God, but my relationship with other people in a way that actually is a little bit different as it should be compared to those around us that chase after the mulberry bag? I found some verses that have absolutely nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever in one sense, but very, very helpful in terms of preparation. These are verses that Paul is writing right at the very end of his letter to the Colossians, and uh, he is encouraging them. And this is what he says, and I find them really, really helpful in this season to take them to heart and actually live out of that. Paul is saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. If you don't remember anything, just read every single morning throughout this season this four, five, six verses from Colossians because I think they capture the heart of how we can prepare as we count down for Christmas. Two things that really are encouraging to me. First of all, if we want to prepare ourselves for Christmas, we need to speak to God about people. Speak to God about people. When Paul is writing to the Colossians, he's saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul is encouraging the believers in Colossae to be prayerful. And this isn't just for this season. There used to be that saying, again in the olden days, a dog is not just for Christmas or something like that where people used to tend to buy a pet for Christmas and then they get bored and, you know, they get neglected. Sometimes I feel with, with, with us as well, there is a sense in which we, we, we are building up Christmas. And there was a thread on Twitter uh, the, the other week. Uh, I do other stuff apart from spending time on Twitter, just in case you're wondering. But there was a thread on Twitter where somebody was asking, some of the pastors were asking, you know, what, what are some of the good things that, you know, we need to keep in mind as we have our uh, particular outreaches around Christmas time? Uh, and uh, me, ever the contrarian, uh, replied and said, you know, just sometimes I think we're putting so much pressure on ourselves and we're always creating this uh, intensity about the Christmas season as if it's the only time of the year that people could ever be invited to church. And it's the only time of the year we could ever talk to people about Christ and the wonder of his birth. <laughs> and, and, and actually, we're just creating this sort of false intensity about it. So it shouldn't be everything that I'm saying now. It shouldn't be and everything that Paul is writing. It shouldn't be just about Christmas. It should be about our daily lifestyle. And while, of course... 
we take the opportunity and use the opportunity. People that we invite may be uh, more easily persuaded to come because it's the Christmas season and because your little one who they love is in a play and they can come and watch. They're more likely to say yes to an invitation. But this should be happening all the time. And Paul is saying you should have an attitude of prayer that permeates everything that you do. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul is saying. Um, we all understand devotion. Of course, all of us through different lenses. Um, mine is uh, football. And at the moment, it's a good time to be a Villa fan. <laughs> a really good time. We've just beaten the, the, the couple of very good teams in, in the league, and it's exciting. And on Wednesday, I, again, I do other stuff. I don't just you know, watch football. But on Wednesday, as I was watching Wednesday evening, as I was watching the game, hearing the fans sing, uh, if, if that's your team, uh, it just is something incredible. And once again, I just thought, and we often have this discussion, those of us who love football, and, and you go to the ground and, hear, and you hear the devotion those people have. And it's, it's fairly misplaced and misguided. And actually, frankly, it's, it's, it's terrible compared to the devotion we should have towards the Lord. Yet actually, that's what Paul is saying. You should be devoted to prayer. You should be crazy. You should drop everything to pray. You should put that above anything else. It should be your greatest passion and your greatest priority in your life. So he's saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What does it mean to be watchful? It means to pray with your eyes open. Well, if you, like me, have been taught how to pray in Sunday school, you've been told to close your eyes. And there's a reason, because when you're a kid, if you don't close your eyes, you're probably looking everywhere and you're getting very distracted. But actually, as Christians, as adult Christians, we need to learn to pray with our eyes open. What does that mean? It means that we watch what God is doing. We look at the world we live in. And we're constantly saying, Lord, where are you at work? What are you doing? What is happening? There's a sense of looking around ourselves and seeing what God is doing in people's lives. Let's not be naive. Nothing ever starts with us. God has already started working in each one of our lives long before anybody ever got involved to share the gospel with us. And so it is with many people around us. So Paul is saying, pray. Speak to God about people. Pray, but pray with your eyes open. Pay attention to what is happening. Pay attention to who is interested and what are the questions they're asking as you pray and bring them to God. And pray with an attitude of being thankful. I think it's getting harder and harder to be thankful. I find it, you know, gravitationally, and again, probably it's a syndrome of getting older, get your violins out. But I think that the, the more I'm getting older, the more I'm finding myself saying, wasn't it great in the good old days? You know, in a lot of things. And of course it was. The music was so much better. <laughs> you all know that. Your music in your generation was so much better compared to the muck that they're listening nowadays. But it's, it's, it's dangerous. Because an unthankful attitude can just breed cynicism and arrogance 
and isolationism. Instead, Paul is saying, when you pray, pray with a thankful heart. What can I be thankful? Well, I can be thankful that I live in a, in a, in a world where I'm free to share the good news of Christ. I am thankful that there are people who are interested. I am thankful that God hasn't closed the door of grace and said, enough is enough. We've got so many reasons to be really grateful. The internet can be a blessing or a curse. It's easy to demonize the internet, but my word, what incredible opportunities there are for reaching people, for people to hear. They're one click away from going on YouTube and listening to a song or a message that proclaims the good news of Christ. They're one click away from a local church on their social media, shares or invites them to an event. We can be thankful. We can pray with that thankful attitude, thinking this is great, and bringing it before God, speaking to God about people. Paul is saying when you pray, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. It's praying for opportunities, and this is how we should live every single day of our lives. We should be waking up in the morning, and part of the, uh, the way we speak to the Lord, there should be a sense in which saying, God, what have you got on today for me? Who are you going to bring across my path? What are the words I can share with others? I remember so many testimonies of men and women of God who had that habit of spending time in the presence of God in, in the early hours of the morning, and God speaking to them through, to, to them through the Scriptures, or as they pray, there's impressions that are coming in their hearts, and they find themselves throughout the day meeting people for whom the very thing that God had spoken to them in the early hours of the morning in their devotional time, be it from Scripture or just an impression. Sometimes you get impressions as you pray, and, and, and then throughout the day you kind of think, this is it. It's almost like that bridge building that is happening, and you're seeing God at work. Pray for those opportunities. Pray. Come before God every day and say, God, I'm ready, not just for the nine to five, not just the ability that, that, that I have to bring some money uh, in order to bless uh, the family that I'm part of, but I actually want to live for the kingdom of God today. And I'm praying for those open doors. That's the way Paul calls them. Open doors. And then throughout the day, you watch for those open doors. Where is it? Who's opening up a conversation? You know, you're at a till in the supermarket. I do other stuff as well. I'm not just in the supermarket. We're at a till in the supermarket, and you're talking to the cashier. And again, you know, be, be a little bit contrarian. You know, let, let's try, if you've got more than, you know, a few items, go to the till and talk to the person at the till rather than do the self-checkout. You know, and you begin to talk to them and they say, oh, what a miserable time of this year. And you go, well, actually, it's not that miserable. Really? Why? Is your life that good? No. It stinks, actually. But there's a reason my heart can be joyful. Because Christ came into this world. 30 seconds, 40 seconds. But there's a conversation, there's a bridge, there's something established, there's an open door that if we know how to watch for that open door, we can leave something. You get it. And Paul is saying we're praying for those open doors. We're praying for our ability to connect people with the great good news that Christ came into our world. Pray for those open doors. 
And Paul is saying, when you pray for them, pray that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for that courage and confidence and clarity. It isn't actually the way we do it or how we, what we say, but it's actually having that attitude where we submit ourselves to God and say, God, just use my mouth to bring things that will show hope to all the people that I'm going to meet with. And God, through the Holy Spirit, can help us to do that. So in this season, I'm going to say something crazy. I'm saying, just push harder in prayer. And you're saying to me, what? Prayer? In this busy season? Yes. So the best thing we can do is speaking to God. Speaking to God about people. And that way, everything flows from the inside out. It's not just a program. It's not just a project. It's not just a thing that we do around Christmas time where we pick up an invite and invite our friends and neighbors and relatives to come to church. But we, we live out of a life of prayer where we speak to God first and foremost about these things and we ask him to do what only he can do. And that's just a lifestyle that we need to grow into in prayer. And out of that overflows a desire to share that. So pray for those open doors for yourselves. Pray for open doors. Um, Gemma will be uh, uh, speaking next Sunday morning. Mo would be speaking the Sunday afterwards in the evening in the two designated services. Pray for them. Pray that God would give them the right words in the anointing. Pray, pray for us all as a church that we will be the kind of people that will, will spread that message as God gives each one of us through our individual personality and, and, and skills and the people that we meet just that opportunity to, to, to have those open doors and to share the good news. Speak to God about people and then speak to people about God. That's easy to remember. Speak to God about people. Speak to people about God. Paul is continuing, he says, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Sometimes people say, do you know what? I leave the speaking to the pastors and evangelists, and I'll just do the living. Paul doesn't give us this option. And actually, I would say to you, if you're kind of embracing that, that sort of view of missional living, I think we're missing the point. I mean, what would it have been like if Jesus came into our world and only did stuff and never said stuff? Right? We would have never understood the message. We would have looked at what he did and thought, that's pretty amazing. Pretty nice bloke or pretty weird bloke. But actually, we would have never understood the message. So the speaking, and that puts, you know, fear and dread into those who are not into speaking, and the living just go like two parallel train tracks together. And Paul is saying, you know, when I'm praying, I'm praying and I'm asking you to help me as well by praying for me to actually be able to speak to people there's two dangers in this and the one is prayerful passivity 
where people just pray and 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 pray till the cows come home, but never ever say anything, never ever share anything with others. There's a many a church that now looks like a graveyard because they've only prayed for people's salvation, but they never ever spoke it. They never shared it. They never showed it. That's one of the dangers. The other one is prayerless activism. It's what people just do and do and do and do. And you look at some of the church's agendas and they've got like a gazillion services and, you know, multiple this and that and that and that and that and that. And it's just like no room for prayer. And it just becomes activism that's devoid of any power. What we need is the two train tracks in that sense. We need to actually pray and then we need to actually use the opportunities, the open doors that God has given us. I love that Paul mentions there, you know, when he talks about proclaiming the mystery of Christ, that's the good news. He says, for which I am in chains. Let me be honest with you. There might be a cost in it. Not every person that you will invite is going to say, thank you. That's what I've been waiting all year for you to come around with that Christmas invite. And I can't wait to come to the service at CFM next Sunday morning or next Sunday evening. Not everybody's going to say that. Thank God we live in Britain, so probably everybody's going to nod and smile and be polite. And uh, they'll do the classic, you know, it's one of those lines on the great British problems. Uh, I'll see about it. I'll think about it. There's a cost. Some people might get even a bit more aggressive and say, will you stop inviting me to church? There is a cost. Some people might look at you weird, going, here comes the weirdo with a yearly Christmas card. They might make a joke. So let's not be surprised. Paul was in chains for him sharing the gospel. So let's be prepared to pay a cost. And the cost that we all go through is just a little bit of awkwardness and embarrassment and that kind of, I'm doing this. Uh, I, I want it. I know I should, but it still feels like really difficult. That's the cost. Let's embrace it. Let's, let's know that that's going to be the case. I remember J. John always telling the story of, um, I, I think it was his, uh, Killy, who now is his wife. Um, he was uh, speaking at an evangelistic event, and he, uh, she wasn't a Christian and he invited her to come, and, and she said no. You know, and he did that. He had that line where over a few days, you know, he uh, politely, because he's, he's a very polite but guy, you know, but she would say, I'm not interested in that event. And then he would say, but still, I think you should come. You know, and he did it three or four or five times. And there is something about that persuasive, kind, persuasive way of not giving up on that. And it could be that there's somebody in our lives who we've invited five times already and they've said no. And guess what? Maybe this is the sixth time that you're hesitating about and they're going to say yes. And Paul is saying, pray for me. Pray that I will be able to proclaim this mystery of Christ for which I'm insane. And he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It's so important. It's, it, it, it's one of the things that I cherish most that when we share the good news of Christ, it somehow makes sense, as much as we possibly can do that, of, of who it is. The simplicity, the clarity that should be there, instead of being overcomplicated. And sometimes we had evangelistic e events, and 
somebody would say, well, you didn't say that, and 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 you didn't say that. And I'm thinking, you've not talked to a non-Christian for the last 40 years. You haven't got a clue what they know and don't know, how much you know, attention span they've got. So the important thing is to have clarity. And clarity is sometimes not fudging it. And clarity sometimes is just keeping things simple instead of overcomplicating them. I think it was Peter Collinson that always used to say, you know, every time we stand up and preach as preachers and pastors, you know, we probably commit heresy because we never, ever have the time to be able to give the fullness of everything. If you're coming up to me at the end of a sermon and saying, Christy, you missed that that bit in the passage, I would say absolutely. And I did it intentionally. Because otherwise we'd be here till four o'clock every Sunday where we're just kind of going through everything and making sure nothing else is being missed. Sometimes you just have to make a decision to keep things simple. And Paul is saying, pray that there would be clarity as I proclaim the gospel. But the other thing that Paul does, he links not just the spoken bit, but the showing bit in it. And he's saying... Now to the Colossians, he's saying, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. It is something about our whole life, our integrity, the example, the lifestyle that we have. How does it speak to other people? How many times have we been in situations where, you know, somebody says one thing and they live another one? I mean, obviously the COVID inquiry is big at the moment, but how enraged were people at the time when the sort of Downing Street parties were happening? Why? Because there was somebody that was coming and telling us every evening what we can't do. And particularly, you know, for some of us, it wasn't... An very costly thing, but I'm thinking of the families, you know, who couldn't visit relatives. I'm thinking of those who were passing away in hospitals and those who were dear to them couldn't go and see them. And then you find out, and there's footage coming out of people having a really right, good time. And people are saying, well, you're saying one thing and you're living another one. And Christians can very often be at the center of that. They'll be saying one thing and they'll be living another thing. And Paul's saying, don't be like that. Make sure that your lifestyle, the way, act wisely towards the outsiders, you know, making the most of every opportunity. And he says, let your conversation. Why is he saying let your conversation? I wonder. Because that's where we fall down so many times. How many times, you know, you get somebody who comes and read 1 Corinthians 13 in church about love. And then, you know, they go and ring somebody in a call center to complain about their internet not working, whatever. And they're like vicious. Vicious. I can never do it because most of the time they ring me and they go, Reverend Murgu, and I'm thinking, oh, you just snookered me. I have to be really nice because, you know, I'm a vicar. But it's true. And you and I have been in situations like that. Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't be two-faced. Don't be hypocritical. Don't live in a way that isn't right and then try to present the message to people because people are going to know. There needs to be that alignment between what we say and how we live because that's where the integrity kicks in and there's a match 
between the two of them. Make the most of every opportunity. That means, as I said earlier on, living with that sense of looking and listening. Looking and listening. What's God doing here? I'm seeing this customer. What's God doing in her life? I'm speaking to this person. What's God doing in their life? I'm on the bus next to somebody. What's God doing in their life? Watching and listening. Make the most of every opportunity. It's living with that sense of, I'm on mission all the time. Wherever I am, I'm on mission. I'm never off. And that way, Paul is saying there will be open doors. And he's saying, let your conversation be always full of grace. Err on the side of being kind. Grace is undeserved favor. There might be somebody who doesn't deserve favor from you. You show them undeserved favor. Because that's what God does to us every day. Speak with graciousness. Seasoned with salt. Food without salt is terrible. It seasons and it brings out the flavors in everything that we eat. Be like that. Speak in such a way that actually you're bringing value. Speak that encouragement in the life of other people. So actually when they meet you, they go, wow, you know, I've been torn down by so many people this week. But I've met with so-and-so and somehow the way they spoke, wow, they, they built me up. They encouraged me. They brought me hope. Let it be gracious and seasoned with soul so that you may know how to answer everyone. Most of the time we're petrified of engaging people because they're fearful of questions they will never, ever ask. Frankly, nobody I've ever met that is a, is, is a non-believer has ever asked me about a trinity. I'm dreading that question. You know, explain to me the trinity. Okay. And there's, there's you know, tens and tens of other questions. I really, really struggle to answer. They never asked that. They never did. It's just all in our heads. And it's all our fears that we kind of need to shut down and lock away and instead just engage with people. And even with the amount of times, and this is your story too, it's just not, not, not unique to me. I'm mean, no, not special in any way in this. The amount of times I found myself in situations where I've been conversing with somebody, totally unrehearsed, not even thought about. And later on in the day, you just catch up with yourself and you kind of think, how did I know to answer those questions? Where did that come from? You know, I'm terrible memorizing Bible verses. But for some reason, as I was talking to somebody, a Bible verse just came into my head. Or that, 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 that story that Jesus taught and just the links. And I'm, I'm looking back at myself and I'm going, bro, you've done well. This is great. How did you do that? It's the Holy Spirit in us. And I'm thinking, okay, if that worked then, and I didn't prepare, I don't, I don't have, even now, if you make me say that, I probably couldn't come up with something as good as that. If he is able to do something like that then, he's able to do it at any other time. So you're just rolling with it and going with that and living every day and saying, Holy Spirit, here I am, I, I'm available. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm rubbish, I don't have answers, my memory is not great at times, but I'm, I'm willing and I'm available. And then watch what God can do. Do you really, really, really think 
that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, that was Peter's theological training, the oratory skills, the lessons he took in hermeneutics and homiletics that enabled him to speak in such a way that 3,000 people became Christians. I don't think so. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that gave him the right words, theologically aligned, beautiful, bringing our passages from the Old Testament and then giving him the boldness to challenge the people. Because I'd be thinking, they've just crucified Jesus. I'd better go soft on them. But he just goes fully in and challenges the people and people respond. Because the Holy Spirit used somebody like Peter who was available as the door was open, as people were asking the question, what is it with these people that they're drunk in the middle of the day? Or they look like they're drunk in the middle of the day. So that's, that's the kind of encouragement I can give to us, is, is living in a life of prayer, not just now for Christmas, particularly now in this season, but not just for now, living in a life of prayer, speaking to God about people, but then living life on mission all the time. When people ask me, you know, what, what's kind of our missional strategy in the church? It is simply this, equipping every single one of us to live on mission whenever, wherever. That's the strategy. There's nothing else. That's the best. That's the encouragement that God gives us. And to live with integrity, to live where we communicate with clarity, to live in a way that we live with kindness and graciousness and with flavoring, and have that, 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 that life that actually not just speaks, but shows what the love of Christ is all about. And I want to encourage us to live intentionally like that. And to develop, I, I think that, that recognizing God's voice is about practice and training. Recognizing opportunities that God gives to us is about practice and training. All of us have got a story of opportunities we've missed. We know God's given us a nudge, and we just bailed out, got too scared. But guess what? God's given us others. He didn't just say, right, you missed on that one, you're stuffed now. It's not going to happen again. No, he doesn't do that. But as we keep on growing, like I described you, that experience that I had when I felt I wasn't particularly prepared, but God used me, nothing to do with me, then that gives me the confidence next time when that nudge comes and I'm thinking, I'm not prepared, I'm not prepared. But then I remember, God used me last time. So I'm thinking, okay, well, let's go with this and we'll do it again and we'll do it again. And the more you live like that, the more you grow in confidence. I was amazed to read the, the, the story of the uh, famous explorer, uh, Roald Amundsen, uh, who in 1911 became the first person to lead a successful expedition to the South Pole. But one of the interesting things about his life is just his incredible commitment to preparation. So one of the crazy things about Amundsen that probably is least known is that he traveled all the way from Norway to, to, to Spain in 1899, this was before he made his, his trip to the South Pole, to earn a master's certificate. That's just over a 2,000-mile two, two, two journey. Uh, do you know how he went? He didn't go via EasyJet. Didn't go via train. 
not in a Tesla. He cycled. Unbelievable. He cycled all that distance. When he began to develop a real passion for going to the South Pole, he started experimenting with eating raw dolphin meat. Sorry to you vegans and vegetarians. Because he realized that actually that might be something he needs to get accustomed to as, as he um, goes through very severe circumstances, possibly finding himself sh- shipwrecked in that situation. And then as, uh, as he began to, to, to build the foundation for his quest, he began to train his body. He made a, a, a pilgrimage uh, and, and spent some time with different Eskimo tribes, learned to live and work in the polar conditions. Uh, the, the, he watched how the Eskimos are using dogs to pull the sled. He looked at the way they seemed to be never in a hurry. They were moving incredibly slowly uh, because through excess sweat, that would actually freeze. So they had to be very, very conscious of that. Wearing very loose clothing, again, for the same thing, allowing the, the, the sweat to evaporate uh, as it would turn into ice under zero temperatures. And all those experiences were captured in his philosophy. This is what he thought. You don't wait till you're an unexpected storm to discover that you need more strength and endurance. No, you don't wait until you're shipwrecked to determine that you can eat raw dolphin. You don't wait until you're in the Antarctic journey to become a superb skier and dog handler. You prepare with intensity all the time so that when the conditions turn against you, you can draw from a deep reservoir of strength and knowledge. And equally, you prepare so that when your conditions turn in your favor, you can strike hard. So much wisdom in that. And unfortunately, I, I think sometimes when we become follow, the followers of Jesus, there's like a bit of a lobotomy where we just kind of uh, have a common sense bypass. We kind of almost think that you don't need to prepare for anything. And somehow God is going to give you everything. I described how we depend on the spirit, but at the same time, we also prepare. We also prepare. We live with anticipation. So my prayer and my hope is that we go away from here thinking, okay, what's my homework? What are the kind of things that I need to do and develop in my life? And then I live with a surrender to see what God wants to do. Paul's missionary strategy was encapsulated in that. He was a superb thinker, very strategic. So he went to very key cultural, trade, uh, political centers of his world. But at the same time, on a few occasions, God said, uh-uh. The Spirit of God said, you don't go there. And sometimes he redirected Paul. That's how we live. We live with a plan and a preparation, like Amundsen did, you know, having that sense of thinking about what, what, what do I want to do? What do I want to, how do I want to encourage other people? But then we live in that surrender and say, okay, um, I was planning to do this, but the Spirit of God seems to be leading in another way. And you live with that sense of obedience. But we don't miss on the planning and preparation. If you're, if you're talking to a friend who is a thinker and they ask some hard questions, just asking the Holy Spirit every single time to give you wisdom to answer them might not be the best thing. It might be that you're picking up a book 
or getting together with another uh, person in the church who's very sharp at those kind of things and saying, I'm going to learn. It isn't just enough to kind of go be lazy and go into that situation and say, well, I'll open my mouth and the Spirit will fill it. Because the Spirit might say, well, you could have read a couple of books on this thing. So it's not an either or. It's a both and. Living with that sense of hope. There's a brilliant line. You probably all know this. In the line on the, the witch in the wardrobe. Uh, in Narnia, it was always winter. Never Christmas. Kind of captures the, the world we live in. There, there are all sorts of little things that hint at Christ. The stars, the lights, you know, the joyous gatherings, the presence. There's loads of little hints at that. But somehow, like Taz was showing us right at the beginning of the service, the real Jesus is missing. And if he's not missing, he's definitely not centerfold. He's not in the middle of everything. And this is where me and you have this incredible opportunity. As we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, filled with his wisdom, filled with his wonderful word, and with that beautiful good news, to actually be those people that bring, so to speak, Christmas into Narnia, the real Christmas, Christ Mass, the celebration of Christ into this world that maybe has on the outside all the paraphernalia that talks about sort of Christmas, but misses the reason for the season. And we are the ones that Jesus wants to use to be the carriers of good news. We will live with a prayerful attitude. We will live with our eyes and ears open, just watching and listening. God, what are you doing? So that actually we become the messengers of good news. You and I could do the most amazing thing and bring the most amazing gift into somebody's life this Christmas and not just Christmas by showing and sharing how good Jesus is. Let's stand together. The Apostle John writes this word. The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all, all, all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The world became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth.